Frosted Leaf is Denver's most innovative dispensary. What I like about Frosted Leaf would probably be their knowledgeable bud tenders, their online kiosk, their online ordering, and then just pick up at the store. And then they're always getting new genetics as well, so that's always cool. Like Edgar mentioned, Frosted Leaf gives you no lines, no weight, and a self-paced direct shopping experience that allows a fast yet comfortable transaction without the awkwardness of a waiting room. Not only does Frosted Leaf have the hottest strains, but they also offer a rewards program that will help towards your purchases. I would recommend Frosted Leaf to a friend and I would tell them to look forward to different strains and to knowledgeable help. Check out Frosted Leaf's three Denver locations and download their app today. Hey everybody, welcome to the BSN Avalanche podcast presented by Total Beverage. Before we jump into the show, I want to tell you about this really awesome deal for BSN listeners. If you didn't know by now, Total Beverage is delivering beer, wine, and liquor to anywhere in the North Metro area from Wheat Ridge to Erie. For a limited time, Total Bev is offering $10 off a $50 purchase on their website and app. Use promo code BSN10 to save $10 off a $50 purchase for all your parties and have it delivered straight to your door. Straight to your door. Wow. Let's jump into the show. I'm your host today, AJ Hayfley. Coming back uh, again with me, Nathan Rudolph. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and preface all of this by saying that if you guys hear any kind of strange banging noises going on uh, in the background, it is because they are replacing the carpet right above my head. Um, I will try to minimize that as much as possible. I'm hoping it's not a big deal, but if you hear it, that's what it is. Nathan. Yeah. What's up, dude? Not a whole lot. No, no amount of noise can be worse than my first podcast here, so should be fine. I, you know, you say that, but there was like, there was like one show where I didn't realize, uh, where I didn't, I didn't realize that moving the cord around was like the loudest thing of all time. <laughs> and I, I was like holding the microphone steady, but I, but I had the cord sitting on my leg and I like, as a nervous tick, I bounced my leg a lot. Oh yeah. I do it too. And, and you could hear it. Thump, 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 thump. Yeah, all throughout the show, there was like this. It was like a, it was like a drum line, like a subtle drum line going on whole show. Where it was just like, <laughs> thump, 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 thump. and I was like, oh my god, listening back to it. Uh, of course, we had some listeners who were like, dude, what in the world is that? The telltale heart of the BSN podcast. <laughs> yeah, I had I had no idea, right? Like I. <laughs> had no idea that that it did that or any of that and so now that's why i have a fancy little system where the microphone is held up in front of my face and i don't have to touch anything there you go i have way too many nervous habits apparently so modern problems require modern solutions that's you know that's right everybody always hears about first world problems we don't ever talk about first world solutions But that's what we've got here, First World Solutions. And today we are going to talk about a First World problem, if ever there was one, for the Colorado Avalanche. First what round do you do, problem, maybe. What do you do with the first round pick that you're not sure where to play him in the lineup? Uh, and if it's evidence of a... Jeez, if there ever was evidence of a First World problem, off the top of your head, you probably don't know which first round pick I'm talking about. <laughs> So now that that that's occurred to me, that's kind of funny. Uh, today we're gonna get a we're gonna get an, a little bit into Martin Kaut and what's next for for the check forward. You know, he had a we talked last week on the prospect show. You know, he had a solid or I guess this week. Um, 
they're, they've all kind of backed up on me. I've done so many of these shows. Uh, they, he had a solid year in the AHL. Good, solid rookie season over in North America. He came over. He looked pretty good. Slowed down at the end of the year. Conditioning was a problem. We talked about that. Ultimately, what do you think his exit interview focused on? And what are what are you looking for from him over the summer as areas of improvement for him? Yeah, well, the biggest thing is obviously the conditioning. We talked about that. And, you know, he'll actually have this offseason to work on it significantly. So... I'm not too worried about that. I would expect him to come much more fit than he did. But as far as on the ice stuff to go, the number one thing I think he could work on to make himself stronger in the AHL is individual play. He's a guy that loves to play off his teammates and loves to work with them. But the way the Eagles system design was designed this past year, you just, you got to be able to do it yourself. And we saw that at times in the season that he kind of started to realize, okay, I need to just go to the net and score my own goals but he didn't do it nearly enough. Yeah, I think uh we saw we saw a very dedicated north south player. Yeah. You know, there was not there wasn't a lot of creativity in the game. Um and I think I think that that's an area where we'd like to see you know, you'd like to you'd like to see individual skill. Yeah, you would, and and he has start to um, jump a little more. You know, I I think the creativity is a little bit of a question with him, but yeah, you definitely like to see him stand out on his own a bit more. Well, and we saw, you know, he put himself on his draft season. He put himself on the map uh, when he played on that awesome line um, on the the Czech team at WJCs. Yeah, he did. And he got to go back this year, too. And and that was really a turning point for him, I think, as well. Once he came back from the WJC, the next game with the Eagles, he came out and just powered in two goals by himself. And you're like, okay, this is what I want to see more of. And that's, that's one, you know, we talk about confidence a lot and how yeah. confidence is, you know, what all it can create and, and how just its mere existence creates problems for opposing players and opposing teams because a confident player is going to do things. He's going to try stuff out. He's going to go at a guy and he's going to force teams to react. He's going to force teams to defend, force teams to block shots, force goalies to get in front of pucks, whatever. It all stems from a confident guy that's willing to just do stuff. You know, okay, I got this. This is no problem. And when we see him a confident Martin Kaut, I think you, you see a totally different guy. Because a passive Martin Kaut is one who can still get by, is still yeah. an effective player. You know, he's still a good two-way guy. But a confident one is one that has the potential to take over shifts. Yeah, I, I agree with that entirely. And and you can see it along with confidence is comfort level. And he seems like a guy that takes a bit of time to get comfortable in his situation. But when he does, he goes from a guy who's kind of sitting back and and someone you know you can rely on defensively to all of a sudden pushing the play offensively and creating. Mm -hmm. And like you said, that's when you start to see the next level of play in his game and what he needs to find consistently. Let's... How much how much are you worried about the deliberate pace in which in which he plays at times? You know, because obviously we talk about the abs, we talk about an up tempo team. And I think 
I think that gets overblown a little bit because there are certainly some guys on the Avs who, when you're watching them, you're not like, wow, what a blazing fast human being. You know, you don't, Carl Soderberg and Colin Wilson are not blowing you away. Tyson Jost, those are, those are not explosive skaters. But for me, I think Kaut can occasionally play at a pace where you'd, I'd like to see a little more giddy up. Yeah, I think that's a fair criticism, but I'm not super worried about it as far as the abs are concerned, especially, you know, when he first starts to break into the league and you stick him on the third line or whatever. We have plenty of guys that can run around like chickens with their heads cut off down there, like Nieto (laughs) and Calvert, you know. Sure. So we have plenty of speed in that area, so I'm not too worried about Kaut being kind of a calming presence down there almost. Mm Mm-hmm. And he's going to have more size than those guys as well. So if he can play with more physicality, I don't mind the slower pace too much. So conditioning. Yeah. Creativity. Physicality. Yeah. All that and all of it consistently would be the big steps for Kaut. How big would those steps be? Um, I think the conditioning step although probably the easiest to solve will be the biggest. Uh, he, you could tell by the end of the AHL season, especially he was just done. <laughs> he was totally gassed. Yeah. Um, the creativity I think is the one that's the hardest. Like I said, I'm just not sure how much of that he has in him. If the creativity becomes maybe more of a, how much of a power forward type guy can he be instead? I think that would be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then the physicality, I I think it'll be fine. Um, you know, he's played pro for two years in the Czech Czechia Czech Republic. I don't know what to call it anymore. Um, the extra league. Yeah, the extra league. He played pro there since he was sixteen, so he understands how to handle himself physically against men. And I think we'll see an improvement there with his conditioning as well. But it, it remains to be seen just how physical he can be. You'd hope that. You know, with his body type, because he's and he's not like a big guy. You know, he's not like a, a physically like, you know, a, he's six foot one and he's got a lot of frame to put some muscle on, but he's got the potential to be a thick body and not like a, you know, not a real wiry guy. I think that he could easily be a, you know, six one one ninety five kind of guy, um, who's just a, a brick wall of a human being. Yeah, and and we saw, this is a little obscure, but if you remember way back to before the season started when the Czech and Finnish World Junior teams faced off against each other in some exhibitions, when he's asked to be kind of a pest and a guy that gets involved physically, he's not afraid to do it at all. So if that's something you want from him, he will do it. That, That right there, that comment, I think very much... Uh, I don't. I don't know if I would say defines him, but the fact that he, how do I want to put this? I feel like he's very, very, very coachable. Yeah, type of player coaches fall in love with, and he's gonna be a guy where whatever the coach tells him, you know, whatever direction the coach sends him in, that's that's the direct. That's the only direction he knows how to go. He's not looking to do his own thing. He's not looking to, and this plays into your, he he plays off of his teammates really well. 
he's a guy that's looking to just get along. Yeah. You know, he's, he's trying to fit in. He's trying to, uh, he's trying to make sense of the world around him. And he only knows how to do that by being given direction, going that direction and doing it with his line mates. He yeah. doesn't seem like a guy that you're ever going to have a problem with. He's not sticking to the system. You know, he's, he's always going to be a guy that's playing for his team and not himself. He's just, he's not that kind of selfish guy. For sure. The more structure, the better with him. And I think you'll see that pretty clearly once he gets to the NHL level. And that's where we're going to leave off our first segment conversation here, because that's exactly what we're going to talk about next. What's what's Martin Kaut's NHL future uh, next season? And where does he fit? What do the abs look like? Who does he play with? Where does he go? What does he do? All of those questions. Plus, we'll talk about everybody's forgotten favorite forgotten av. Along the way, this is the BSN Avalanche podcast presented by Total Bev. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. If you're living in Colorado and you are craving some good old Southern barbecue, be sure to give Moe's Original Barbecue a try. My favorite thing about Moe's Original Barbecue is we are a Southern soul food revival. We make everything from scratch daily, house-made smoked meats, and customer service to the next level. That was Robbie Peoples, one of the managers over at Moe's Original Barbecue. And like he mentioned, they have incredible food, awesome customer service, and I think my favorite part is how cool the environment is in both of their locations. We have live music at Moe's at our south location, 3295 South Broadway, which is a full PA system, ticket sales. Uh, We have national bands, we have local bands. If you're a local band interested in playing, feel free to contact us at mosdenver.com. We would love to have you come down and play for a big old party at Mo's Original Barbecue. Not only do they have live music, but they also have a bowling alley and a dozen TVs with all of your favorite games on. They have two locations, one in downtown Denver off Broadway and 6th, and of course the other one that Robbie mentioned in Inglewood. I would recommend Mo's to someone because we cater to all needs, a family-friendly atmosphere. We have Colorado beers on tap, all the games on the TVs. It will blow your mind with amazing barbecue. Welcome back in second segment here, the BSN Avalanche podcast presented by Total Bev. I'm AJ. He's Nathan. We are here talking about Martin Kaut. Interesting guy. Very goofy. Yeah. Will always be one of my favorite draft day stories. Because when he got drafted and we walked up to the podium, uh, he said he was going to try to do it in English. And he said, only easy questions, please. And so, and we all kind of laughed and he goes, ask me about the weather. And so we're all standing there and I said, so how's the weather? (laughs) And he looked at me and he didn't know how to answer it. (laughs) And he kind of nervously laughed, and I was like, I'm just kidding. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and he kind of, like, looked over at the, like, the NHL PR person and was like, what do I do? And she was like, just move on. And we're all kind of, like, nervously looking around. And then, like, his actual interview begins, and he was awesome. He was like, oh, you know, the Avs have a bunch of great players, like McKinnon and Rantanen and Landeskog and now me. And I thought that was great. Confident kid. Believes in himself, great personality, very goofy. Uh, I talked to a few Avs players uh, this season uh, about the Eagles and you know how often they get a chance. You know, hey, do you do you ever go up there on a day off? Uh, 
They do not. (laughs) (laughs) Seems to be the common answer there. Uh, But I did get a number of players who asked me what's going on with the cow kid. So they're all paying attention. They all know who he is. They're all the, you know, they all want to know what's going on with the first round pick. And I would say, Hey, you know, he's a hell of a player. He's a good kid. Going to be here next year. Well, we're a couple months away, obviously, from from that next year getting here. But training camp, you know, it's only uh, we're coming up on June here in a couple of days. It'll only be about three and a half months away. Which, now that I've said that out loud, sounds like forever. Less than that to dev camp and the like. So, yeah, definitely. Which he could, you know, I'm cur- I'm curious what he participates in this year. Yeah, well. If he doesn't come, if he doesn't participate in some of the rookie stuff, I, I think it'll be pretty clear where he's headed, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, and that's that's kind of our big question right now. Where where is he headed? What's gonna happen with Martin Cout coming out of training camp? Where does he go? Yeah, I. You know, it, it depends on some of the things that we talked about in the first segment and how far they've progressed. I don't want to rule them out as making the roster opening night. I think it's it's definitely a lot higher than a 0% chance there. But realistically, given his production last year, you're probably looking at him starting in the AHL. Um, you know, maybe something along the lines of, of a Kamenev path there. But for me personally, if he's not in the NHL by Christmas at the latest, you know, something has probably gone wrong. Okay. Well, let's talk about what that looks like. <clears throat> the abs break camp. He's down in the AHL. He's developing They're, You know, they, they are by Christmas. You're about uh, two ish, three ish months into the season. Depending on when the actual, I mean, the NHL schedule hasn't dropped, so I don't know when the actual season starts. Um, but your your point being, you're you're a couple months into the season. Whose job does he take? Uh, pick a, the worst bottom sixer, I guess. <laughs> okay, so cut that guy out. We'll call him Player X for right now because yep. we don't have any other name for him. Right, Player X. You're going to the, you know, what do you just bench him or do you send him to the AHL? Depends or does on it depend depends on player yeah. X's contract. Yeah, okay. It definitely depends. <laughs> so player X, we'll see. You know, point is Martin Cout is coming to take your job. Is Martin Cout then a fourth line guy? Do you start him on the fourth line and then let him work his way up? Do you start him in more of a prominent role? Because we've seen Jared Bednar has given different guys different opportunities. And trying to act like they've all been the same is just not accurate. I've always said that the place to start players, especially ones with pedigree from the first round and things like that, is the third line. It's sheltered enough that it's not a total trial by fire, but it's also mm-hmm. enough time to give them opportunity and not just have them playing six minutes a night where they can't do anything like we've seen before. It is It is tough. You know, It. it's funny because we look at, AJ Greer, who we'll get to later, and we say, well, you can't do anything with six minutes a game, seven minutes a game, you know, whatever. You can't, what are you, what are you looking to, how can he prove himself in that role? 
But then you look at a guy like Kamenev who started to do exactly that last year before he got hurt. Now he was getting special teams time. Uh, you know, he would get the occasional PK shift. Uh, he was also uh, starting to get uh, face-off opportunities yeah. in key situations. So that was getting him on the ice. But realistically, I think he was averaging like nine minutes a game. Right. Like if you're starting a guy six minutes and you're saying purely, okay, we want to make sure you're not just totally lost in the NHL. And then you steadily work his time on ice up from there. That's okay. Mm -hmm. But I I would still rather see just start him on the third line, let him get his toes wet with real minutes because that's what you're going to want out of him anyway. So get him going early. So if you, okay, so let's do that. Um, Player X is a fourth line guy that just got his roster spot chopped out. Cow takes that spot. Now he's replaced a guy on the third line, and that third line guy is now a fourth line player for some kid who's never played in the NHL before. Yep. I mean, what are you telling your locker room by doing that? Unfortunately, that's just the reality of the NHL at times. You know, if if Cow pans <clears throat> out, he's going to do that anyway. If he's not working that great, then you can consider switching that around. But. I think the players know and understand where that's going anyway. They they know the future is always coming up, so they have to fight for their spots like they always have. Fair enough. Um, but when you're trying to create a culture, and I'm, you know, you know that I agree with you. Um, but I'm, I'm essentially playing a devil's advocate here. Sure, sure. Uh, but <clears throat> you know that you're trying to create a certain culture. Uh, a culture built around accountability and getting what you earn. And now there have been players where we could say we don't necessarily think that that player has done that. Uh, but we also don't see any of the behind the scenes stuff. You know, yeah. we don't see how they work in meetings. We don't see how they communicate off the ice. We don't know what kind of teammate they are. We don't know about any of that stuff. So we're dealing with an incomplete picture when we say, X player has earned it over Y player. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's something we don't keep in mind often enough is that we are dealing with an incomplete set of data here. But when you're trying to create that culture, what does it do for that culture when you just drop a kid in? And, and when it was Kale McCarr, it was easy to see why they did it. The guy had had, he'd just been too special to not give an opportunity to. And, like, I have no doubt that wherever he was when he got the news, Patrick Nemeth shook his head and was like, okay, I get it. <laughs> that sucks. Yep. But I get it. Um, I think it's it, it's going to be a tougher sell for a guy like Martin Kaut, who, yes, he was a first-round pick. Yes, this will be his second pro season. Uh, he would have to have had a f- fantastic start in the AHL, I think, for it to be like, Okay, well the guy the kid's tearing it up and you know we'll, we'll let's just give him a shot and see what he does. But when you're talking about a tight knit locker room in which these guys are playing for each other and they're invested in each other's success, how fragile how delicate is that balance? That's a better question. How delicate is that balance between actively upgrading your roster and disrupting the chemistry of a group that really likes playing together? Uh, you know, I, I think it is a factor, but 
if in a perfect world, if everyone's playing great and everyone's producing and filling their role perfectly, then yes, it becomes difficult. But that's just not reality. <laughs> uh, you know, never in history has right. that happened. <laughs> Gabe Bork had one assist in about forty games last year, and yeah. you know, I don't think anyone's going to say anything if you take that guy in and say, "Look, we need more than this, and we have this kid who's we're going to give a chance to." Mm-hmm. So I I think there will be opportunities there. And if Cout earns it, once he gets his opportunity, he earns it. And I think he will. Okay. Um, so now we're in December. He's taken that job. He started on the third line. Your expectations for him moving forward? Uh, I expect him to be a solid third liner that can probably play in all situations. I don't really know how much room on will have for him on the power play but you would definitely like to see him work into a pk role at least so if player x was a pk guy he could just straight up take that dude's job full stop right like obviously i i'm not sure gabe bork will be back next year but whoever is in that role he's like the archetype we're working off of right now yeah Whoever end, that ends up being, I think, is basically going to be looking at Cout and going, okay, so this is the guy who's going to take my job. <laughs> okay. Um, is that, a, is that, when you're, is that the role you want to give him and to start developing him in uh, for, for NHL play? Is that, is that what you want to see from him? You want him to be a guy that's on your PK unit consistently. You want him to be uh, a guy that is a two-way guy for you. I mean, he's going to be a two-way guy at even strength, but he's also, I mean, do you want to use him as a guy that, and start developing him as a, as a mainstay on, on that unit? Realistically, yes. You know, if he gets up here and all of a sudden his offense is just slaying and it looks like he could maybe be more of a middle six or second line guy, great. You can use that and maybe throw him on the power play side of things as well. But out of him, I want that reliable type of player that you can have PK on at five on five. You can throw him out with 20 seconds left on a game and a one goal lead. You know exactly what you're going to get from him and mm-hmm. not worry about it. And is that <clears throat> is that kind of some of what excites you about him as a player is that you know, the abs, the abs are going to have offensive guys, right? And we expect them to go into free agency. They've got the fourth overall pick. They're going to have more opportunities to add offense, but from a guy like Cout, that two way ability, is that really what makes him stand out in for, for his role on the abs moving forward? Well, yes and no. For him, it does make him stand out, but the difference between what the abs have now is the skill on top of it. It's the two way try hard stuff that the abs absolutely love, but he's going to have the finishing ability that players like Calvert and Nieto lack a little bit. Okay. I, I look at Cout and I'm, I'm never totally sure what to make of him. Like I'm completely confident that he's a longtime NHL player. I just don't know what he looks like at the height of his powers. There isn't, there isn't a guy, there isn't a great comparable offensively uh, that, that, that does everything that he's, that he can do. I just, I, I struggle with 
who he's going to be for the Avalanche long term. If even if he hits his ceiling, I'm still what is that? Yeah, that's he his ceiling is definitely hard to read. I uh, it you can't really put him up there at like at like 60 points. I don't I just don't think it's that high. Uh, if he really peaks out, maybe you're talking about a 50 point type player, but more realistically, you're probably looking at 40. Yeah, I, I just, I'm super curious to see how he develops because he's such a, he's such a different kind of guy for their, for the abs, for their system and for, you know, he's, he's like that two-way guy. He's a high character guy who fits a lot of their, he checks a lot of their traditional boxes, but the way that he plays does not. Right. And I'm just, I find him to be an interesting guy who can kind of serve as a Swiss army knife for this, this forward group moving, you know, over the next couple of years, I feel like he's going to be able to, (laughs) I feel like he's going to be able to do a lot of different things. You know, he he could play on a power play, he could play on a PK. He could be an even strength only guy. He could score 20 goals. He's, he could score 10 goals. I think the variance on him is so wide right now that it's it's almost difficult for me to plan like and and to do any kind of roster baiting about, you know, where he's going to go and what he does because I just don't feel comfortable with who he is. I don't know. I I really am not worried about that because I'm very comfortable with his floor and his floor is absolutely an NHLer to me. So that I agree with everything there is just gravy then. Right. It's, it's like, okay, you're an NHLer. It's like a, it's, it's like you buy like a a piece of clay. Right. Yeah. And you're like, all right, this is NHL clay, but I have no idea what this is getting molded into. I have no idea. Like how is this going to be a masterpiece? Or is this just going to be a showpiece? Or is this going to be something that I, you know, I keep on the coffee table? And ultimately, like, I think that's up to Cout, right? He'll get direction from the Avs staff, I'm sure. But if he steps up his offensive game to the next level, or if he really excels on the defensive end, then they're going to go with what works best for him. And it's up to him to prove that he can go as high as he can. If he maxes out, I am really excited about the the concept of a Ranton and Cout right side for a long time. Yeah, that would be. I think personality wise, they're they're gonna they're gonna mesh perfectly, uh, and I think that oh my gosh, <laughs> uh, and I think that skill wise, they complement each other really nicely. Him, having him on the right side could free up Landeskog a ton too, because Landeskog is often the player that it's like, okay, you do all the defensive stuff for the big guns, right? Right. It would be it would be really interesting to see if they tried to move him around, uh, you know, because they'll play Landeskog on both sides. Yeah. It would be interesting if they tried to do the same with Cout and say, hey, look, you're really we're we really like your defensive profile. We think that that's going to be an area you can really help us. You know, would move him around on on the right and the left side, and I think that you know that could open up a a lot of different avenues for them because you know a Cout McKinnon Ranton in first line would be really interesting to free up a Landeskog, like you said, to to kind of go and help somebody else out to yep. go and carry a Tyson Jost second line. 
yeah, that would be pretty ideal. I, I wonder about it a bit. Like I said, he's a player who does need a certain comfort level. So that's probably more of a long-term thing if that's something you're interested in doing with him. But if it works, I mean, A++. <laughs> yeah, it's A++. That's a good that's a good place to leave this. Let's uh let's let's go ahead and leave that there. Uh we will be back. We have one more segment here. We're going to get into the guy who mentioned a little bit earlier, going to get into AJ Greer. We're going to get into some more of the bottom of the roster of Vladislav Kamenev. Some of these guys, you know, what are their futures? Where do they go? What do they do? Because right now it feels like they're they're, you know, with with all the excitement over uh the fourth overall pick and free agency coming up, it almost feels like those guys have sort of gotten overlooked a little bit. And that's what we're here to do is make sure that things don't get overlooked. Before we do that, before we get into the game-changing players on the bottom six, you see how hard I'm trying to force this? (laughs) We're going to get into some game-changing coffee. (laughs) Stravacraft is the CBD-enriched coffee that's really changed lives. They have incredible reviews. Make sure that you check them out. The CBD-infused coffee has taken away long-term migraines, back pain, arthritis, IBS. It's helped decrease anxiety, you name it. CBD is all natural and not psychoactive. The coffee is rich and tasty, and we couldn't recommend it more to our listeners. Check it out for yourself today and receive 20% off. and use promo code BSN2019 at checkout. You'll get it shipped straight to your door. That does it for segment number two here, the BSN Avalanche Podcast, presented by Total Beverage. We will be right back. Welcome back into the BSN Avalanche Podcast here. Presented by Total Bev, where we are happy to ask the question, do the Avalanche still hate A.J. Greer? I mean, I sure hope not. <laughs> Did they ever uh, hate A.J. Greer? I hope not <laughs> as well. I mean, he certainly had some opportunity, even if it's not as much as we would like. Yeah, I. he commented on it last year, and uh, he being Jared Bednar, uh, and said, because somebody, it, it was a it was a question about Gabe Bork. And he said, you know, it's funny to see the public perception where Gabe Bork doesn't get a long leash from people, but AJ Greer gets a free pass. You know, people, there's a public per, there's a public trust in AJ Greer, but not one in Gabe Bork. And he just, he kind of commented on it. And of course he's like looking at me and he was kind of, it was very much like a, I see you guys on Twitter that tag me and stuff, which PS don't do that. (laughs) Um, Just as an aside, don't, don't tag players and coaches and people in your angry tweets, like be an adult. Like that's so messed up. But I thought it was funny that he he kind of like went out of his way, right? Yeah. To 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 mention that. And it was an interesting it was an interesting thought because it's like, yeah, it's true, you know, fans are a lot more willing to buy into the grass is greener on the other side, you know, show me the guy I haven't seen. Yeah. And coaches are a lot more apt to being like, that guy has 300 NHL games under his belt. That's the guy I want in my lineup. 
because even even if I know it's not always going to be great, you know, even if I know the upside isn't there, I know what the downside is. I know what the floor of this guy is, and I know how much he can hurt us, and that's just not very much. Right. Whereas, you know, I have no idea if this kid that I'm sending out there is a total loose cannon and is going to take five penalties and cost us a game. <laughs> And with AJ Greer, that's a legitimate question. You know, is he going to go out there? Is he going to take penalties? Is he going to do something stupid? Is he going to do something productive? What, what version of AJ Greer are you getting? How, how far is he from becoming a a full-time NHL player? I don't think he's far at all. To be honest, I think he probably could have been one this year. And you know, there there are some questions about what exactly he will be if he's a full-time NHLer. But at the same time, like I said, I mean, it's pretty hard to justify continuing to play a player who had, what, six points on the season and one of his two goals was an empty netter. Mm-hmm. From, it, from 190 feet yeah, away. It, it was deep, but it's still into an empty net. <laughs> And it came in like game 75 or some nonsense. Like it happened at the end of the year. Right. Yeah. He, his, that was his first goal of the year too. So, yep. And yes, well, and then his second was that sweet game winner against Vegas. Where yeah. like, what <laughs> but he just happened? pulls one of those a year out and it's like, how? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but right. At a certain point, you just have to look at this and go, I mean, Greer scored what? Two points in 13 games or whatever which isn't fantastic or anything, but it's better than Bork's offensive production. And yes, <laughs> Bork PKs and all that, I understand. But that's one of the things that Greer worked on in the AHL this year. They had him on the PK significantly mm-hmm. to try and get that part of his game correct. And honestly, if he's not going to make the NHL at this point, will he ever? I don't think so, at least not with the Avs. I... I don't... Two points, so three points in 17 games in 2017-18. Two points in 15 games this this past season. But in the AHL, he went from 13 points in 35 games to 44 points in 54 games. He took a huge step forward uh, as, a, as a leader for the Eagles in terms of offensive output, in terms of production. He was... He took a major, major, major step forward in his offense. I can see where you're worried about penalty minutes. 14 penalty minutes in 15 games is a concern. When yeah, you're it, when you're playing as little as he is, it's a concern. It just is. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to see him get a little bit more comfortable at the NHL level because every time we've seen him called up, he he really tries to be that pesty type of guy and always wants to have his presence known. So I think that's contributing a little bit to the penalties because it's yeah. not quite to that level at the AHL. Not at all. Not at all. I mean, you. I mean, especially given how much he plays in an AHL right. game, going through, uh, you know, going through a season of 54 games and only having 63 penalty minutes, again, given how much ice time he's getting, that's fine. Like, I'm... You know, I'm not I'm not worried about that too much. Yeah. Uh, but when you're a fourth line guy and you're only playing six minutes a game, like you can't take penalties. You just cannot do it. Yeah, that's fair. It's it, the question with Greer is just 
what more can you possibly get out of him by leaving him in the AHL? And honestly, I don't think there's really much at all. I completely agree with you. I don't think there's anything left for him to learn at that level. Now it's all about adjustment to the NHL. And I think that to be honest, man, if it's, it's got to happen now. Like, yeah. and I think that's, that's fair for both sides. It's got to happen now. Yeah. I, I think if it doesn't happen here now, then some other team will probably end up taking a shot on him. And that's that. That's a, and, and that's, that's a factor. We talk about the roster for next season. You know, it's very easy to, to, again, I hate, I hate to pick on the guy. I always feel like I'm like going out of my way to do this, but Gabe Bork and you replace him with AJ Greer. Yeah. It it seems like a really easy one-to-one, right? Especially with Greer working on the PK this past year. It, it seems so easy to swap those two around and say Greer is the younger, newer model at worst. At worst. I mean, what, what Gabe Bork gave the Avs last year, they can get from a lot of guys. Yeah, it, it's it's pretty clear that Gabe Bork isn't providing anything special as much as, I mean, look, he's an NHLer. He's better at hockey than I'll ever be at anything in my life. But Absolutely. At the top, it is what it is. If you can't hold down the spot, someone else is going to take it. It's... The difference, the difference between a guy that gives you seven points in a fourth line role and a guy that can give you 20 is enormous. You know, look at, look at Brian Boyle last year as, as like a fourth line guy, put up like 25 points. Yeah. You know, why Colorado was sitting around and settling for a 10 point player. It just doesn't make any sense. That doesn't need to happen. Yeah. It's totally unnecessary. Exactly. Uh, And it feels like a self-inflicted wound, especially because they have a guy in AJ Greer, 44 points in 54 games in the AHL is legit. That's legit. There's no reason for that guy next season moving forward. You know, contracts are up. You don't have to bring Gabe Bork back. You don't have to sign him. You don't have to give yourself the same conundrum of, do we have him? compete for the 13th forward spot and then have him end up as our 12th forward for 50 games. You know, if you're going to be a learn to earn organization, you're going to be a draft and development organization. Be one. Right. I, I agree 100% there. It's Bork feels like a, a carryover from when the abs were at their worst and Bednar kind of discovered Bork at the end of this year and went, oh, this guy's actually better than the absolute junk I have on the bottom of this roster. And I I guess maybe Bednar has overlooked it because he has a fondness for Bork or whatever, but now Bork has kind of become that junk at the bottom of the roster. Right. And like you're, and you're talking, and the thing is, is that we've seen, given how he's used his defense, We've seen him have a willingness like everybody. Oh, he would never scratch Patrick Nemeth or he, you know, that's his pet. That's his personal favorite or whatever. I think if there's a, there's an option that he believes in, there's a clear cut, better option sitting there. He'll take it and he'll use it. Yeah. We saw it even with Bork, he scratched him for like a good month in the second half of the season this year. So yeah. Well, and he got into one game, took a penalty. They got scored on. He played two minutes in that game and then he got scratched for the next like two weeks. Yeah. So it, it, does seem especially with him that 
they've realized where they're at and are, are starting to move to fix that. And I do, I mean, I really do think that, and that's, I mean, you're talking about like the easiest part of your roster to upgrade. Yeah. You know, even if you just push Matt Nieto down, you go and you get a, a middle six forward, you push Matt Nieto down, the jump between Gabe Bork and Matt Nieto is enormous. Right, and, and Nieto was, by a lot of metrics, our best penalty killer last year. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he would have zero problem slotting into that role. Well, and that's a guy with back-to-back 20-point seasons. Right. You know, did it very different ways. Went from <laughs> 15 goals to four. Yeah. <laughs> but... I mean, I mean, this he's had four 20-point seasons in his career. This is not like these last two years are super fluky for Matt Nieto. That's who he is. This is this is who Matt Nieto is. And he's a guy that can absolutely be a quality fourth line. If he's on your fourth line, your fourth line has a chance to be really good and really effective. Yeah, I mean, look, look at when San Jose went to the Stanley Cup final. Nieto was a fourth liner for them. That's You're building a Stanley Cup caliber roster when you start getting things like that. Yeah, well, I mean, San Jose watched uh, Matt Nieto and Ryan Carpenter just leave and uh, right. via waivers because they just they just they they were too good at what they were doing and drafting and developing that type of player. Yep. So that's that's kind of what I'm I'm getting at. There is these are guys that if you're really building a cup contender or closer to the fringe of your roster than closer to the core. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, man. It uh, It's going to be interesting to see how they fill out that bottom six because they do in, in Greer and Cout. That's two guys right there. Like that's, yep. you don't need to sign anybody. You, right. you know, you let Andrew Ghetto go. You let Bork go. You replace him with Greer. You replace him with Cout. That's Done. your, that's the system working. Yep. That's, that's your pipeline replacing players and and you're certainly believing that both of those guys you're certainly believing Cout is an upgrade on Andrew Ghetto Greer is an upgrade on Bork your roster gets better it gets more talented it it gets deeper and to be honest it it gets cheaper because those guys are on you know cheap deals it does ELC importance should not be underrated it, it's a big deal when it comes to getting that little extra bit of performance right well and when you're looking at you know um you know speaking of Magneto and and you know he's making two million dollars yep and it's not like two million dollars oh my god brank the bank money but when you're talking about a guy that's going to be on your fourth line this year potentially on your fourth line this year because you improved at other areas, that's where you that's where you should be finding savings. Yeah. Not spending two million dollars, you know, and Matt Calvert making two point eight. They can live with those contracts for now, but Matt Calvert and Matt Nieto are the guys the Avs need to be developing. That yes. needs to be Ty Lewis. That needs to be Nick Henry. Those guys on cheap deals for the next several years while they go through the RFA process and not in free agency getting paid nearly three million dollars. That's where you find your savings. You can go spend big at the top of your roster, and then you have to find quality depth guys on ELCs and be able to turn them over and get value out of those players. That's what they need AJ Greer to be. That's what they need Martin Kaut to be. That's what they need Nick Henry and Ty Lewis and all these other forward prospects that they have. Shane Bowers, uh, Logan O'Connor, et cetera, et cetera, down the road, all these cats. That's what they're hoping to get out of those guys is – you hope that you get Matt Nieto and you hope you get him a million dollars cheaper. 
Yeah, they and they've struggled for a long time in developing those types of role players, but absolutely, they're they're finally in a position where they have the opportunity to really develop a couple of them, and and they need it, and and develop them over a period of time, and not yeah. draft them, drop them in the NHL, and say, well, hey, if he doesn't work out, you know, like a Tyson Jost, hey, if this guy doesn't ever get any better, we know he's a third or fourth line center for us at 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 absolute worst. Right. It, it's this is very different from that. This is OK. We need to get these guys to the third or right. fourth line level role. We need to we need to get OK. Nick Henry spent two years in the CHL. We need to get a Matt Calvert caliber player out of him now at yep. worst. Exactly. All right. Any final thoughts on this uh, before we call it a day? Uh, just excited for honestly, both of them. Uh, as far as Greer goes, I, he'll be waiver eligible next season. And if he's not on the abs, I, I really do think a team will claim him. He's he's the type of player that honestly would be catnip for like Joe Sackick on the waiver wire. We've seen him take guys with that NHL experience that haven't worked out like a Marco Dano in the past. And I think there will be GMs interested in that. I do. I def. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, the abs have done a good job of uh, scooping up waiver guys in the last couple of years, which is weird to say because, um, you know, Barbario. Nieto Nemeth, is one of them, yeah. And Nieto, yeah. I mean, those three guys right there have all been on the roster a lot in, on two playoff teams in a row for the abs. Yep. Um, you know, Mark Alt is the captain of the Eagles. I don't like how they use Mark Alt down there, but I think it's perfectly fine that he's down there and in, in, in that role. Yeah, I agree. Um, so that's that's where we are. Uh, that is, uh, a frustrating, a frustrating day. Um, <laughs> just because anytime, anytime we get into, I, we've spent an entire show basically talking about the third and fourth lines, which are not irrelevant, but the vast majority of the time your your teams win or lose on the backs of your best players. They do, but we already know what three of those are and that. <clears throat> The other three is going to depend on July 1st. So A lot on July 1st. <laughs> yep. Like, it's so many things. You know, that's, that should be the show for Friday. Let's let's talk about, we'll talk about July 1st on Friday. Uh, I have a Thursday, I have a Thursday show set up already, so uh, we won't worry about that. But a Friday show, I think July, we'll start to develop, delve into July 1st and talk about more than just our Temi Panarin and Jeff Skinner. Uh, until then... I uh, think we're going to wrap it up today and I'm going to remind you guys that total Bev has a really awesome deal for BSN listeners. Uh, You already know total beverage has the most liquor in Colorado with the best prices in Colorado, but now they're delivering to anywhere in the North Metro area from Wheat Ridge to Erie for a limited time. Total Bev is offering a $10 off $10 off a $50 purchase on their website and the app use promo code BSN 10 to save $10 off a $50 purchase for all parties of all shapes and all sizes and have it delivered straight to your door. That does it for today's BSN Avalanche podcast presented by Total Bev. For Nathan Rudolph, I am AJ Hayfley. Thank you guys for listening. We will see you tomorrow.